We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. Today we're here to do something we love to do, and we haven't done in way too long. I don't know why. It's been a busy year. It's been a busy season. Uh, but so funny. My friend, this reminded me, my friend Joe Matta, shout out to Matta, Joey Hammers, Joey Bag of Hammers. He proposed to his girlfriend a couple weeks ago in New York City, and he got so nervous in the moment that he said, he, he paused, Nick. He froze for like four and a half seconds, she said. And then the first thing that came out of his mouth was, it's been a hard year. <laughs> just like, and he just had nothing else to say. And then obviously, you know, he just got down on one knee and it was fine. But it was just funny. It's been a, it's, it's a tagline we've been using in our friend group. It's been a hard year. <laughs> it's been a hard year. I like that. It's been a hard year. All right. Anyway, we love the mailbags. We're back to doing one. It's a fun time to do mailbags. Giants are 2-0. But also, we want to do this more often. So we're going to do this more often. Look out for more mailbags. We've gotten all the questions up until 3.22 excuse me, three twenty-two p.m. Eastern time. If you sent a question in after that via Twitter or Instagram, we won't probably feature it on this unless we do it in real time. But we will get it for next week's mailbag or whenever we do one again. We are going to try to do them close to weekly because they're fun and we like to do them. So without further ado, Nick, let's get this thing started. We'll go back and forth. I'll ask a question. You ask a question, and then we'll both give our takes. So, Alfonso Andres Wong Colado. That's a long name. And I what like a it. name, man. That's an A-plus name <laughs> right a there. Plus name. It's a long one. He says, let's say the Giants draft a quarterback to replace Daniel Jones in 2023. Do you think the new quarterback would play better because they arrive in a better coaching staff and or have a better offensive line than, G- than Daniel Jones had his rookie season? Also, how much can we as fans separate the processing aspect from the quarterback position, from the condition of the offensive line and the coaching? So I think in terms of the possible quarterback coming in, Alfonso, it's really just dependent on that specific quarterback. We're not really 100% certain who that is, and there's just a ton of variables that kind of play into that. But I think there's probably a little bit more substance to the second question that you asked, the processing aspect of the quarterback from the condition of offensive line and coaching. Look, When you're a young quarterback, offensive line and coaching, they're everything. You're trying to rely on them. Still, natural talent 
can be shown as we've seen throughout the NFL with young quarterbacks like Justin Herbert, who might not have had the best coaching or the best offensive line around him. But despite that, you could see the arm talent. You could see his ability to get through his progressions and you can see his ability that just kind of jumps off his big playability that jumped off the paper. We haven't really seen that from Daniel Jones. So I think for young quarterbacks, that element of it, coaching in the offensive line are huge. I think it all depends where they get the quarterback if they draft the quarterback. So you're saying, let's say they do. So we're going to we're going to operate under those pretenses. But if they if they pull it, you know, if they like a quarterback in the mid first, they're drafting in the mid first because they win enough games or they're drafting in the mid first or the mid to back end first. And they kind of see a guy they like a guy they think has talent. That's the situation where I think Tyrod Taylor could be the starter to start next season. And that guy could either miss the whole seat or be back up the whole season or only come in if things are going bad and he's given a chance and they feel like he's ready. But if the Giants bottom out, which we don't really foresee happening at this point, given the advantages they have in the coaching on a week to week basis, the way this team has bought into the coaching so quickly. And in addition to that, a really easy schedule coming up. But if they do bottom out, then that's when we could see a quarterback starting right away. Because if they get maybe a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud or one of those types of quarterbacks, then there's an opportunity for that. Chris Whalen asks, does bringing OBJ back later this year, next offseason, make sense given the state of the New York Giants? Uh, yes, yeah, is a fun one because obviously the report came out yesterday that I believe Brian Dable's been FaceTiming with free agent wide receivers, which by the way is a interesting scenario for a lot of reasons considering you know the Kenny Galladay situation what's what they've gotten production wise the receiver position which I'm going to talk a little bit about later so I am curious to get your take on that Nick as we discuss it via the Daniel Jones lens but as far as Odell Beckham Jr. specifically goes I'll be honest with you I'm going to welcome it Nick (laughs) look I didn't like the end of OBJ's run I was I was very uh, outspoken about I did not like how he went about the final season there. I thought it was a terrible decision for him to go on that Josina Anderson, uh, little Wayne shut, whatever that ESPN show with those two say the comments he made after he already signed the contract, you know, about, and, and he clarified them later. But the fact of the matter is you can't say that stuff. And more importantly, I just felt like there was too much of an aura around him when I, I covered the giants during one of his last training camps. And it wasn't like the rest of the, He wasn't really one of the regular guys. He had his own special treatment in the locker room, his own special treatment with the media. I just don't think that's a good, I just not, I'm never sure unless that's quarterback position, right? Because then it's whatever. All, all, I throw out everything. You, you get me a good elite quarterback. I don't care what your personality is like personally, but at the wide receiver position, it's not what I want. But I think he could be humbled by this point. You know, things are different for him. He's an older person. He's been through a lot of adversity, so many injuries. And if he wants to come back to New York, rewrite how his career ended here and rewrite the narrative, I'd welcome it, Nick. Because one of the things the Giants don't have right now, in my opinion, is much speed at the wide receiver position. And yes, they have some explosiveness in Kadarius Tony, but we're not seeing Kadarius Tony playing that many snaps. And Ultimately, they need some kind of more explosiveness and speed at the wide receiver position. They're not going to get from Galladay. They're not going to get it from Sills. They're, in my opinion, they're not really going to get it from this version of Shepard. I still think he can run pretty good routes. I don't think the explosiveness is maybe where it was. And I'm not so sure it's there with Wando Robinson either. We'll see. And that's not to knock Robinson. I still think he could literally be playing the Richie James role that we're seeing right now better than James and giving us more production there, which is worth a lot to what this offense, how this offense is constructed. But raw speed, that's explosiveness, athleticism, Nick. I would welcome back OBJ. I don't know if it makes sense for Odell Beckham to come back to New <laughs> yeah, York. He's 29. 
Yeah, he's 29 years old. He's going to be 30, and the Giants are in a slight rebuild. They might have another quarterback next year. So I don't think it really makes sense for him. He is coming back from another serious injury. I would welcome it if the Giants, you know, go on this winning streak, they start winning games, and become like a serious contender because I do still believe in his talent. But I don't know if it ultimately makes sense for him when he can go to Green Bay or he can go to Buffalo, possibly. Right. He probably has his pick. Yeah, and if if I'm OBJ, I'm certainly not picking the Giants. That's for sure. Not just for like all the media crap that would surround it. To be completely honest with everyone here, if I'm OBJ, I'm picking a really good quarterback. That's just as simple as it gets for me. Um, that's how I'm. That's how I'm going to get back into this. And he and he almost did it right. Like he looked great with Stafford last year. Everyone's like, "Oh, OBJ's done. This is not Baker's fault. It's OBJ's fault." And then he goes to the Rams and looks freaking awesome for them until the injury. And Baker goes to the the Panthers and looks terrible. So I think that one was answered. But D from Crawford asks, "I'm looking at the Dallas Cowboys all 22." And by the way, shout out to D from Crawford. He's been a day Cranford. one supporter. Cranford. Wow, not Crawford. Cranford. Day one supporter of the pod. So shout out. He says, it seems like the way to attack the Cowboys is through the middle of the field on slants and wide crossers and then right up the middle, right up the gut running the ball. They protect the boundaries of the field well. How would you guys attack? Dan Quinn last year led the league in cover one percentage. And this past year, I believe he's top six in running man coverage. Typically, if you don't have the best cornerbacks, which Dallas, they don't have the best cornerbacks. I don't think it's a huge liability on their team. You have Trayvon Diggs and then everybody else. I like Jordan Lewis. I feel like he's a pretty solid player that they'll align in the slot, but you can take advantage of Anthony Brown. I think one way you can do that when there is a lot of man coverage being run, Dallas currently ranks sixth in the league, running about a third of their snaps in man coverage on defense, is with those quick slants, is with those horizontal crossers and just take advantage of the middle of the field, your wide receiver's ability to win inside, dip that outside shoulder, then create separation on a type of Y cross type of play or any type of crossing plays over the middle mesh concept, stuff like that. So that would be one way that the Giants can do it through the air. But I think this game plan is going to focus on Saquon Barkley once again, because you have to slow down the pass rush of Micah Parsons. You have to slow down the pass rush of Demarcus Lawrence. You have to keep them honest and you have to get the football into your best player's hands and establish the run. And I think that's going to be the overall thesis of a lot of these games, but against Dallas, that's probably what the New York Giants should focus on. Yeah, I think Nick nailed what they could potentially do schematically in the passing game, but ultimately I don't think they're going to try to do all that much of it because I think the focus of this game, just like it was last week against Carolina, is how can we make this game, how can we craft this game plan so Daniel Jones doesn't kill us with turnovers? Because in the first game, Daniel Jones turned the ball over twice. I know people say that fumble is not his fault. I agree. It's a great pass rush, bad protection. Some quarterbacks do hold on to that ball. I know not a lot, I guess, but it's still a fumble. We still lost the football. We still turned it over. And then in the red zone, we took three points off the board with a turnover. And we almost threw the pick six or at least the interception. I know some people have corrected me. It might have not gone for six last week against the um, against the Panthers before halftime. But those turnovers killed the game. And in this game where I think the Giants defense is going to have an edge, a big edge over Cooper Rush and the Cowboys offense, they can't afford turnovers. So I think that's going to be the focus right now. Let's put them in a position where Jones doesn't turn the ball over. And like Nick said, that's going to be focused on running this game plan through Saquon Barkley. And I think they'll use the zone read. I think they'll use a little bit more RPOs. I think they'll use a lot of the play action boots. Anything to slow down Micah Parsons. If Micah Parsons gets hot early against whether it's going to be Evan Neal or Andrew Thomas, because Micah Parsons right now is playing at an unreal rate if you watch him against the Cincinnati Bengals he's playing phenomenally it's, it really is scary the Giants have to find a way to try and mitigate the effect he can have on the overall game and that kind of bleeds into the question 
by Vlado Kirik, if I'm saying that correctly. Will Jones play his best game against Dallas? If not, what is the path to victory? So, I mean, there is some potential, in my opinion, for Jones to surprise us and play his best game because of what Nick said a few minutes ago. Dallas Cowboys are going to play a lot of cover one. They're going to play a lot of man coverage. Historically, Jones has done a lot better against man coverage than zone coverage. That's just a quarterback. I'm do sorry. you have the wide receivers to create the separation though, and that's against the, the coverage? Exactly. Yeah, right. And that's the big question here. Do they have the white, like exactly what Nick just said right there? And so maybe those historic stats aren't as important. I don't know. I will say this, though. I mean, Jones has also done a good job, or at least a better job versus some of the other things he does, of looking off that safety when there's one high middle of the field close and trying to, like, you know, hit the verts. We'll see if the Giants even, like you said, do they have the receivers who can create separation versus man coverage? That is something we're going to talk a lot about in a future question here, because I think it's one of the real reasons why Daniel Jones has not, you know, has struggled a bit at times. So we'll talk about that, but I would guess, no, this will not be his best game. The way it can be the best game though, is Kadarius Tony. If Kadarius yep. Tony who mispracticed on Wednesday, but that might just be something we should expect going forward. If the Giants can get Kadarius Tony going like the one, the great Mike Glennon did in the second half of the Dallas game, Last season, I believe it was like week five or whatever. If they can get Kadarius Tony going against man coverage, we saw what he did to Trevon Diggs. You know the type of separation skills Kadarius Tony can leverage against the defense who wants to run a lot of man coverage. So that would be the way you can get Daniel Jones going. But is Kadarius Tony up to speed enough? Is he healthy enough to be that involved in this game plan? That's another question. Without a doubt. And the other question is not only that, it's the second thing. Is he involved enough? Is he farther far far along within this system right like last year he was already it was it was a rookie of course but that was a system that it looks like he's just picked up faster for whatever reason than this one and this one does ask more of the receivers so is he ready it's week three is he you know far along enough in the system they can trust them to play that kind of role we'll see time will tell okay yo ellis asks or yo yo ice asks if we win too many games this year we won't be able to draft. A, will we not be able to draft a good QB? Unless the Giants trade up. I mean, it depends on what too many games are. And it seems like, and it's premature, but it does seem like there are a lot of interesting quarterback prospects. We're not quite there yet in terms of film study, or at least I am not on, on college prospects. I can like tell you who the good ones are that people talk about, but I haven't dove into their tape other than just watching them on Saturdays, the CJ Strouds, the Bryce Youngs of the world. So it's possible if the Giants do rattle off, you know, nine wins somehow in this season that they can play themselves out of the ability to get those most highly regarded quarterbacks coming out. That's definitely a possibility. Yeah, it's a really interesting question and one on a lot of, on the mind of a lot of fans who are thinking about this from a long term perspective with a 30,000 foot view, which I love. I love the fans who understand like, damn, dude, did you watch that Vikings game? Kirk Cousins is supposed to be the best possible of this level of quarterback. And look at where that Vikings team is at. They've had to retool their entire defense, which looks like trash. And it's going to be trash for at least this year, probably more than that. And what's the ceiling with the Cousins? What's the ceiling when you pay a Cousins, when you pay a car, when you pay, um, you know, a Danahill? And do we even want that? Is there any point to that? I don't personally see it, but some do. Some like just like the, the, the nine win seasons losing the playoffs round one. And I understand that, too, because the losing has sucked. So I love this kind of question. But I will say this, because I was talking to my dad about this this week, Nick. He, you know, one thing that we need to make clear. Think of the three quarterbacks, Nick, that mean you think are the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now or will be in the, for the next five years. 
Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Justin Herbert. Would you argue with any of those? No, I would not. Maybe you could throw Burrow in, but let's for this sake not, because I think at least from my conversation with you, Nick, we believe those three are above the level of Burrow. Is that correct? I that do. is correct. Okay. Yes. Now, none of those quarterbacks were taken at number one overall. Two of those quarterbacks weren't even taken in the top 10. You could throw Deshaun Watson in that too, who wasn't taken in the top 10. So it, I get the feeling like, you know, yes, there will be some drafts with um, with Andrew Luck. There will be some drafts with Trevor Lawrence where you need that first pick. And you could even argue to some extent like the Burrow draft, but now Herbert's kind of proving that wrong. And I know Herbert was actually a top 10 pick, but the rest of those guys, Mahomes and Josh Allen were not. And Allen might have been, correct me on that. Allen was, yes. Allen was barely in the top 10, right? Nine? Yes. Yeah, okay. But even so, it's not number one, and that's a range that you can trade down to. The Chiefs are a great example of that. The Chiefs traded into that range to get Patrick Mahomes. And so I've just opened my mind up to idea that, you know, I can trust Joe Shane. I can trust Brian Dable, for example, to kind of scout this thing out and figure out talent that they like at quarterback that they believe they can mold into one of these players. Because look, when Josh Allen entered the league, the Bills had a conviction on him. But a lot of people, myself and Nick included, were out on Josh Allen. Why? Because there's been zero history of a quarterback with a sub-56% completion rate, which is what he had at Wyoming, succeeding in the NFL. Every single one of those players, the sub-60, were failures in the NFL. And Josh Allen was not even that great in his first two years. He was subpar in EPA and a lot of the advanced metrics and really wasn't that good on the field. He did lead him to playoffs, one of those, and then had that weird boneheaded play that everyone remembers in that playoff game where he tried to, like, lateral or whatever happened. Against there. the Texans, yeah. yeah. The Texans. And then, through development, through more time in the system, and just due to his God-given ability, he was able to evolve into this elite quarterback. And I think the far, the latter point there for me, Nick, is what stands out. I want God-given ability, man. I'm just kind of done with the Daniel Jones types for my next investment at quarterback. Can you hit on those sometimes? Sure. There are guys you can hit on who have the kind of talent that Daniel Jones has. Adequate arm talent, limited ability at best, throwing off platform and creating when when you know he's when he's not set when he doesn't have his feet set and his shoulders squared. But those guys need to be elite level processors and have elite level post-snap vision. So maybe if they find something they see in the film room of a guy who has elite level processing, a quick release, doesn't panic in the pocket, and sees the defense just at a next level, fine, invest in one of those. But otherwise, man, I'm looking for the arm talent. I'm looking for the ability to throw off platform. I'm looking for size and speed. You need a quarterback whisperer too to groom said quarterback, right? Like Andy Reid with Patrick that, Mahomes. We have right, right now, right? Exactly. Well, Brian Dable. Dable's done it. He's done it with Josh Allen. So he has that under his resume. But the only issue with this is it, the market corrected. Everybody in the NFL now, all 32 teams <laughs> are now looking for yes. a Josh Allen and a Patrick Mahomes Great prototype. Point. Whereas before they were like, ah, that guy's footwork sucks. Screw yes. him. You know, <laughs> you know the, such a good point, Nick. Such a damn good point. So that, that, that would be the one issue That's if scary. the New York Giants do win nine games or whatever, that all those Josh Allen type of prototypes, people with that type of potential are probably going to be scooped up in the top five. Yep. Yeah, you're right. The market is correcting itself. But like I said, which will lead to mistakes, too. <laughs> it's going <gonna lead laughs> to gonna lead to mistakes, yeah, too. A lot of mistakes, which I don't think are mistakes. Everyone's like, oh, it's such a it sets you back so far when you take these quarterbacks that are mistakes. Not really. It can set you back if you hang on to them forever and you keep thinking things will change if I just get them a better this or I do this better for them or we do this better for them. But the teams that move on fast 
those are the ones who are winning. The Cardinals, those are the ones who are winning. They moved on fast from Josh Rosen, got Kyler Murray, and everything's wrong there. They have built out a horrific roster. They have the worst coach or second to third worst coach in the NFL in Kingsbury. They haven't upgraded that line in O-line in years. Their defense only got worse this offseason, losing Chandler Jones. And still, he goes into hero ball mode and wins them a game when they were down 23 nothing or whatever it was last week. And so he's, anyone who says they don't like Kyler Murray, I'll point you to that game and plenty of others and some of the throws that he makes on a kisses on a you know on a game to game basis. Kevin Donahue asks who's making the case for an extension and I love this question. He'd say Julian Love, Dexter Lawrence, Xavier McKinney, you pay to keep your homegrown talent. I think there are other names and I agree with all three of those guys, but there are other names to include in here. I think Andrew Thomas because I think after this year he is eligible for an extension and then Saquon Barkley possibly, but that one I think you'd have to be a little bit more maybe creative with, but all these guys who are homegrown dudes they are making significant cases within the new system in place to be extended. Nick nailed it. There's one more I might throw to that mix, and it would be a Dory Jackson on like an extension restructure type thing to mess around with the cap and get it where you want it to be. The only one I push back on for me is Dexter Lawrence, Nick. It's not that I don't love Lawrence and what he does. It's just that they're already allocating so much cap to the interior defensive line with Leonard Williams. Yeah. And... That they push some of that cap hit back, so it's like that. That's for it's into future years, and so now you get you're thinking of putting loading up two big contracts on the interior defensive line, and it's also the deepest position by far in the NFL, and the deepest position in every draft. So I just think the opportunity cost there. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think they're going to extend Dexter Lawrence. It's just a guess, but given what Joe Shane said in his interview with John Schmelk, like. Pre like March or whenever it was when he was talking about the importance of positional value as it applies to his draft strategy. I don't think he's going to be a heavy investor in running back or D tackle. We'll see if that's right or wrong, but that's part of the reason I don't think they'll resign Barkley, even though I personally am warming up to it myself, depending on what the price is. Obviously I, we'll see. I will happens. say this about, about Dexter Lawrence. So you have him under contract all next year. So you wouldn't have to give him another contract until the year after that. He's turning 25 in November. He's still a young player. So can you get rid of Leonard Williams? And I don't know the specifics of his contract, and I know he was extended. Can you get get rid of Leonard Williams and get out of his contract after that season to extend Dexter Lawrence? Because by that point, Leonard Williams will, I think, be in his 30s. So that's where I'm like, that's where I look at the situation and I say, maybe they will extend Dexter Lawrence. I don't think they're going to allocate that much cap, including Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. It would only be at the expense of Leonard Williams. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Okay, let's take a break from those and do a fun one. Two, two of the same questions, we'll answer them both. Uh, Cody Riccio and Derek Bentley basically asked non-football question, but I don't hear you guys talking about Game of Thrones House of Dragon. Are you watching it? And if, you, and if so, what do you think so far? I'm not going to try to give away any spoilers here since it is just dropping, but I like it a lot. I think it's very, very interesting. I like the character development even just so early on, and I think they're building a really engaging an interesting plot with the with the brother and with Rhaenyra and just all the incest going on. <laughs> yeah, we haven't talked about it much, but just to give you an idea of how much I'm obsessed with it already. I mean, this just happens to me. This happened to me with Thrones. It's happened to me again with House of Dragons. I don't miss a single one of the Mallory Joan, Joanna uh, podcast. They do a deep dive that's like for two and a half hours long every week that I listen to. Sometimes like three hours. I listen to that. I listen to the Jason Concepcion podcast on, on this show right on uh, from HBO. That's the, right after the episode. I also listen to Mallory and Joanna's re quick reaction one with Chris. 
Uh, so just three podcasts a week on this thing. Uh, it, it's wow. back to obsession with me on this thing. I, this is how I get with Thrones. I just find it so interesting. I will say this. There's one thing this show, this version of Thrones, this, you know, this whatever it is, this spinoff of Thrones is missing. It's missing the humor that the that the original show had. There's no Tyrion right now. There's no Braun right now. Braun was really funny in the first season and throughout the show. And there are multiple other Samwell, Samuel Tarly. It doesn't have any of that, the light, dark humor that the original had. That's a big miss for me. Also, unfortunately, it's had to rush through these first five episodes. I understand why. They needed to set up so much before the time jump. And, there's, and it's all to set up what's about to happen. And it's going to explode. It's going to be amazing, in my opinion, just guessing from all the podcasts I listen to and all the insight I have. I luckily, at least from my perspective, have not read George R. Martin's read uh, the history of this. So I don't know what's going to come, which is great. I'm spoiler free. A lot of my friends already know what's going to come. They're still excited, but they know it's going to come. But I do know that they, this, these first five episodes were just a pure setup for, and they had to set it up. You have to understand, you know, you need the backstory to make what's going to happen so good. And I think once we hit ramp up into this time jump, it's going to be absolutely epic. So I'm really excited about that. So let's go on to Brooke, who asks, how do you rate Daniel Jones's ability to see the field and go from second to third reads. Is he PTSD slash gun shy because of the history of bad offensive line collapsing on him? And also, does Kenny Galladay try to separate from defenders? Do you think it's a lack of effort or do you think it's something else? Yeah, two topical questions a lot of Giants fans want to know. I would rate Daniel Jones' ability to see the field post-snap bottom five, bottom ten in the NFL. I, the problem with this, though, and I feel like this is important to note, me and Nick don't have time to watch all 22 of 31 other quarterbacks. And so I, I don't like the rankings across the league. So I'm going to take that back. I do not rank him bottom five because I have no idea what's going on on the film with these other quarterbacks. Instead of ranking him versus those other quarterbacks, I'll just say on a scale of one to 10, I would say it's a two, 2.5 at best, to be completely honest. It's his biggest issue to me by far. And I don't know how much of it is the offensive line and all the beatings he's taken over the years. People say, because you have to remember something with Jones. He picked up the quarterback position late was a late bloomer in, in his high school career and then went to Duke and played in a system that didn't really aid his ability to understand defenses and read them post snap. It was a one read system at Duke, snap the ball, get the ball out a ton of RPO, a ton of screens at the line of scrimmage, quick game. And then he went, goes from that into Pat Shermer's system, which is just as simplified as, as it gets. It's half-field, high-low reads. And then he goes to Jason Garrett's system where he wants him to read the whole field. But after that, by that point, what experience did he have reading defenses? He, it's, now he's second year in his pro at that point, second year in his professional career, and just didn't really get that in the college career, didn't really get that in year one with Shermer. And so it's just there's not a lot of evidence to suggest that he can be a good field reader if he had time i don't know maybe he could it's impossible to know but the giants haven't given him good pass protection at any point in his career so that's something that should be noted and i do think there is it's worth saying yes having these bad offensive lines does impact him and maybe it makes him maybe it's the reason why we see him so uncomfortable in the pocket right or maybe it's the reason why he's trying to just do some things that we don't like but when we see him lock on to the reads, that's the issue because that's not really pressure-based or O-line-based. When we see a play like the one with David Sills last week where Kadaris Tony's wide open in front of his vision in the middle of the field, should be in his peripheral vision, he's just locked on waiting for Sills to get open. That's something we've seen for four years now, him locking on waiting for the receiver to get open. If the receiver's not open, don't lock on. Come off that read, and you can always come back to it, but there's no, no, no nothing to gain from just staring it down. So I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at, Nick. 
Yeah, I think he definitely struggles getting to his second and third reads, gets a little bit of tunnel vision sometimes. I would say there's been progress with that probably around like late in the second season before he got injured and then into this third season, but it's still not where it needs to be. And I don't feel like it's where it needs to be so far through this year as we broke down through the all 22 of the Carolina game where he missed a solid amount of reads, I would say, in that game. It wasn't his best outing in terms of reading the defense and then making them pay for having coverage lapses or just not seeing guys come open through his progression. And then as for Kenny Galladay, too, Oh, yeah, Look, I, that part. Go ahead. Yeah, as for Kenny Galladay, I, I think he's, I think he's toast at this point. I don't think he, I don't think he can create the separation that you need him to create. Now, there's some good reports coming out of practice today, though, on Wednesday. So maybe he's going to have a more, another pep in his step. But I don't think it's a lack of effort. I just think it's a lack of ability at this point. Yeah, I don't buy into the effort narrative whatsoever here, Nick. I don't like the narrative. I think it's stupid. I think it's like Homer heavy. Um, I don't see it when I watch him. I think the issue is, does he have anything left after the hip surgery? That's the issue because ultimately these major serious surgeries, like a hip injury, like what evidence, what, there's not that many receivers that have had and the receivers position where this matters a lot. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. It's not that many examples we have of hip surgery. Hip is a bad surgery to have. Like that requires a lot. And again, only thing I know about it is the doctors, he's never going to be the same, uh, you know, after looking at it and has he been the same? I don't know. And, I don't think it's a lack of effort. I really don't. But it's just a matter of if he can get back to that level. Like Nick said, there were some good reports out of practice. But then, you know, you read last week, Dan Duggan saying um, he remembers a play from last week's practice where Jones threw him a go ball and it, it went and landed a few feet ahead of him. And the coaches were pissed because they thought it was on the receiver and not the ball placement by the quarterback. And then fast forward a few days and he's benched for David Sills. So I just don't know, man. After practice, though, he did say things that we should probably discuss here, Nick. He basically said, like, look, I don't understand why he was benched last week. And the players in the locker room that I've talked to don't understand it either. He said, I'm not going to make this proclamation yet, but I'm not ruling out asking for a trade. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even see that come across yeah. come across the desk. No one's taking on that contract. They're not getting traded. The only way out of New York right now would be to be I don't even know. I, I honestly, I, I'm not even sure yeah, exactly no what they could do. There's no way out. Yeah. Get Lord, out. I just can't go out that door. I mean, that's that's basically what it is. There's there's one way out. Lord, I just can't go out the door. The only way out is staying with this team. That's a little reference for the Allman Brothers fans on this show. Nick is not one of them. So no, no, no. my dad is. Yeah, which is why I don't know why you are. I'm, the reason I am such a fan is because of my dad. So I don't know. But one day I have to talk about that with your pops. Maybe he's listening to this episode. Probably nah, not, but maybe. No, nah, he's definitely not listening to it. My dad, <laughs> he's going to like that. He's gonna, he lo- my dad loves that. I So my dad, I grew up listening to Allman Brothers from like an insanely early age because my dad was just rocking it on like the old school, um, what are those things? Not the stereo, not the stereo, like the, um, what are, you know, where you put the, <laughs> the cassette. No, not cassette. Why am I forgetting this? The, you know, vinyl, the vinyls. He had a vinyl player. Yeah. And so he's rocking it. And then, you know, as a kid, I was, I was a kid. I was every typical kid. I was like, no, this sucks. This is terrible. I'm going to listen to Eminem, Marshall Mathers LP, start cursing off and talking about things that are just, as I listen back now, like horrible concepts, great wordplay, great wordplay, but not the greatest uh, content. And then as I got older, I fell in love with all my brothers to the point where they're literally my favorite band of all time. And so it's just so cool for it must be so cool for my dad. Like his favorite band of all time ended up being my favorite band of all time. But anyway, let's get back to this podcast. Shout out Ronnie. Yeah, shout out Ronnie. <laughs> but I will say this one more thing about the Gallia thing. 
I'll be honest, Nick, and I'm curious to get your take on this. Was David Sills that good in this game? Like, I, I look at some of the routes that he ran, and then I envision Kenny Galladay in that. And even this version of Galladay after the hip surgery, I'm not so sure he wouldn't offer the same or maybe a little bit more than David Sills, especially in those contested catch situations. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer. Actually, mountain spring water from the Alps. And it's called liquid death. You may see your coworkers cracking these open at the 9 a.m. stand-up meeting. But again, not beer. They're just parched, dehydrated, or just downright thirsty. And they're drinking the new mountain spring water brand called liquid death. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. So go to liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE if you want to try this tasty new Liquid Death. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. Yeah, it definitely doesn't seem like David Sills was creating as much separation as he did in week one, which some of those were just busted coverages by the defense. And double moves. And double moves, which which I don't think it was just an amazing double move by him that totally faked out the corner. I think it was more the corner was paying yeah. attention to Daniel Jones as Daniel Jones was rolling in his direction. So it, to me, it seems like Kenny Galladay would be able to, from an athletic standpoint, be somewhat capable to a David Sills because David Sills doesn't really win much in terms of creating separation. That's not David Sills's game either. He runs right. some crafty routes. He he finds voids in zones, and and he's and he's smart in that aspect in terms of running the choice routes that Brian Dable has throughout his offense, but. It's not something I feel like, or at least I haven't seen Kenny Galladay fail at that part. 
you know, but I do say, man, I, I, I watch the tape and I don't see Kenny Galladay creating separation either. So there has to be right. something internal going on there. Yeah. I, I, like I said, at best, maybe the same. It's not, it's not much better from that standpoint. All right. Xander Montano asks pretty cool name. Montano asks schematically, is this offense or schematically is this offense seems much better. What needs to happen for them to score more points? Is it all on Daniel Jones? I don't think it's all on Daniel Jones, but Dan and I talked about this on the quick reaction pod and throughout the all 22 podcast on offense. Mike Kafka is calling plays to assist his quarterback. That's what good coordinators do. But I do believe when they do get into the red area, they rely pretty heavily on, I don't want to say gimmicky plays or, or trick plays, but they, they don't seem eager to put Daniel Jones in a position to score the touchdown. Yep. Like you see around the national football league. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't, they, they're not like, all right, Daniel Jones, go and find, read this defender and, and make this throw in tight quarters where there's guys underneath, there's guys over top, and you're getting pressure. They try to scheme offense and scheme touches to players and have those players score. Like with the Daniel Bellinger one, I'm sure Kadarius Tony and Saquon Barkley will be involved a lot. And it's really smart on, on Kafka's part, but I don't really think they fully trust Daniel Jones to put the team on his shoulders in that area and go and score the touchdown. Yeah, I think that was a great a great take right there. I don't know if we discussed that at all at any point on the podcast. So I'm happy you brought that up right now. Um, Daniel Jones has been a quarterback that struggles mightily in the red zone, except for his rookie season. But I think a lot of that was scheme. Um, he just he can't process these things fast enough. He has to in his release. It's just not fast enough. Um, having said that, as far as is this all on Daniel Jones? I was thinking about this question a lot, Nick. I don't think so. I really don't. Because one of the biggest issues that I find right now it's not necessarily the offensive line. Everybody talks to that because look, you can go by the pressure rate, which the giants have given up the most, but then you could also look at time to throw where the Daniel Jones is more than most quarterbacks pressure rate. So some of this can be on him with regards to that, with regards to his pocket manipulation, with regards to his processing, how fast does he get the ball out? But all of well, while saying all of that, I will say this. The reason I don't think it's all on Daniel Jones is I think some of this is on a good amount of this is on what they have right now at the wide receiver position. And this is a big reason why one of my biggest needs going into the draft, as I talked about on that needs podcast for the draft was a wide receiver who can separate vertically with speed and test the bat and, you know, test the safeties on the defense. They didn't go for that. They went for Wandale Robinson and that's okay because I think Wandale Robinson can be playing this Richie James role at a higher level. And that's what they want right now. Someone who they can have consistently making catches, but you know, you look at a George Pickens type and what he could potentially do for this offense right now, taking the top off the defense or a player like that in the future, they're going to need that because right now they don't have vertical receivers who create that much separation on the boundary. And that is a big problem. That's one of the big things for me. Less, I'm less so pointing it on the offensive line as, as has always been in the past with the DJ stuff. And I'm pointing it on the receivers because right now DJ is not working with great receivers overall. And he's certainly not working with receivers who are great from that specific aspect, the ability to create separation on the outside on the, from the boundary role. So to me, that's one of the big factors here too. I mean, look at what's going on in Miami right now. They got yeah. Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Not only are those guys complete wide receivers, they're two of the fastest receivers in the National Football League. Daniel Jones, and this is to Daniel Jones's credit, and I stand by everything I just previously said, but something working against Jones, and this is why it's not on Jones, as Dan just alluded to, or just stated, he doesn't really have a lot to work with. He really doesn't. David Sills and Richie James, two guys that were question marks to make the team just a month and a half ago. So you always got to keep that in mind as well. But that also bleeds into this question by David Goodman 
as well. What is the biggest need next year other than quarterback? Would it be corner, wide receiver? Would you put interior offensive line, possibly center in there? Where are you going with that one? Great question from our boy, David Goodman. Longtime listener, longtime supporter. Okay. Biggest need for me after quarterback. That's a great question. So we're just talking about wide receiver, but and, and it's tough. It's a tough one, right? So I think for right now with where the Giants are at, I might say it's a wide receiver who can separate like the way we're talking about. Long term, when you're thinking, can this Giants team and Dable and Shane build a Super Bowl contender every year? It's without a doubt cornerback. Like if this, like things are all gravy right now because we face Ryan Tannehill and uh, Baker Mayfield. We start to face the elite quarterbacks that were required to beat in the playoffs to win a Super Bowl. These corners are going to get exposed. That's the fact of the matter. And the linebackers at the second level are also going to get exposed in coverage. But to build an elite defense with Wink Marndale as your coordinator, I think you need two to three cornerbacks. I actually think you need three really good cornerbacks like the Ravens had a couple of years ago when they had the best defense in the NFL because there's so much required of them. They're in man coverage all the time. They don't always have safety help. Wink puts all these guys at the line of scrimmage. Like you said on the play, uh, one of the plays you broke down on the, on the defense podcast, Nick, sometimes these cornerbacks are, 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 are really asked to post snap operate in like a really unique role. That's like asking for a lot of them from a mental processing standpoint and from a recovery athletic a recovery speed and athleticism standpoint. So I'm still going to go with cornerback for the long-term view here. I would agree too. Yeah, it's cornerback for me. If you want to compete to win Super Bowls, you need to give Wink Martindale true corners. Hopefully, Aaron Robinson can become one of those cornerbacks, but that jury is still out there. And even if he is, let's just say that he is, which is still unproven, you still need more cornerbacks. Still need to, more. To, you still need more. So yes, it's easy cornerback for me, but I think wide receiver is a low-key, pretty big need. And interior offensive line is as well. But I think as of now, you can at least get by in the NFL with the Mark Lewinsky's of the world and the Shane Lemieux's of the world on your interior offensive line. It's really difficult to win in this league if you don't have a good number two corner. And I think they would have taken, if both were on the board, I think they would have taken Sauce Gardner over Kayvon Thibodeau. I really do. I kind of think that too, man. I really do yeah. as well. Keeland asks, how did you guys link up and start this podcast? And who gets an extension first, McKinney or Thomas? Great question, Keelan. I think we might have talked about this in the past, but it's always fun to go over. So actually, I originally started this podcast with another analyst, Nick Turchin, another Nick. Um, so I basically was you know, coming up on Twitter and on 24-7 Sports covering the Giants for 24-7 Sports, and I decided I want to do a podcast. I want it to be a little different than what's out there at the time. At the time, there really weren't that many po Giants podcasts in the sphere. There was the NYG Weekly with Weiss and Ethan, and basically that was it. There was no talk in Giants. There was, I don't know any of the other, there wasn't Ronin's podcast. Um, I'm not sure, maybe Pat Train had a podcast at the time, but I don't really think she did. So my whole goal at the beginning of the podcast was I want to find someone who is an absolute X's and O's film analyst beast because I am starting from scratch there. I'm trying to learn that, and the best way for me to learn is to talk it through with somebody who knows their, their stuff on a weekly basis. So I found Nick Turchin because I saw some of his breakdowns on Twitter, his film breakdowns. And I was like, this is the dude he's not, he wasn't a giants fan. So we did the podcast for a little while. And then Nick got a job with a football team as a coach and he no longer could do the podcast. That was Nick Turchin. So that was the summer of 2019. Now, I remember this vividly. He texted me while I was on a trip. I was like a two week long trip, hiking, uh, a hiking trip in bed and, and, um, not in bail in, um, Banff and in uh, in Glacier, an amazing trip. The West Coast is freaking beautiful. And it was such an alarming text to get because he's like, I'm sorry, dude. 
I got this job, but I can no longer do this starting now. So I'm on vacation. I'm thinking like, will this podcast go on? Because personally, I'm not a believer in solo podcasts. I know some people pull it off. JJ Zacharyson does a great job of it. But those are like 15 minute long podcasts. And that's partially why I think it works. And so I didn't really have anyone in mind when I got back. Part of it, part of me was like, this is it for the Big Blue Bander podcast, even though at the time it was pretty damn big. We were we had at the time, I believe, between eighteen hundred and two, let's say half of the audience we have now or, or, or a little bit less. And I felt like, you know, I'm throwing that out. But at the same time, I'm not going to do this myself. Then, you know what? I got a little motivated. This was around week one or two of the 2019 season. And I said, you know, I'm going to start reaching out across the board to everyone who breaks down film that I know on Twitter. So I contacted Mark Schofield, who's been on the show multiple times since to break down quarterbacks and Daniel Jones for us. And I was like, hey, dude, I've seen your breakdowns on Big Blue View of the Giants. You're awesome. Do you want to do this podcast? And he's like, sorry, man, I don't have time. But have you heard of Nick Filato? And at the time, I didn't know this Nick. And so he's like, here's here's what he does. And he uh, sent me some inside the pylon film breakdowns that Filato had done at the time. And I was like, all right, this dude is perfect for this. And then he gave me the, the, the perfect cherry on top Schofield gave me, which was that Filato's also a Giants fan. And one thing I always felt like the original Big Blue Banter podcast was missing was that Nick Turchin wasn't a Giants fan or wasn't really a diehard Giant. I don't think he was even a Giants fan. Um, he can correct me if I'm wrong on that. And so I said, wow, if I can get someone who's a film analyst beast like Filato is, and he's a diehard Giants fan who grew up a fan, it's literally going to be an even better podcast, which it has evolved to since we've more than doubled our listenership. I think our content is better than ever than it ever was. And so I called Nick up, had no idea who he was, called him. I said, you know, I like to do things on the phone. I could have DM'd him back and forth, whatever. I like to do things on the phone. Called him up. We had like a 20, 30 minute conversation, shot, shoot the shot, the SHIT, talk giants, talked our lives, talked everything. I was like, dude, I don't need to hear anything further. Do you want to do this podcast with me? I think you'd be perfect for it. He said, yeah. And that's kind of, and from there it, it went through there. And honestly, since then, me and Nick have actually become really close friends outside of the podcast unrelated to it, which is something I didn't even expect at the time. And, and we both lived in New Jersey at the time and something I didn't expect at the time and something that I was also just happy to have evolved since then. So yeah, that's, that's the story there. And as far as the Andrew Thomas or McKinney thing goes, um, I think it will be, that's a tricky one because I think if you do one considerably before the other, the other might get pissed and it might lead to some disarray. So I'm going to say it'll be around the same time. I hope it's around the same time and great story, man. It was, uh, I'm, gl- I'm glad we are where we are, dude. Because I had no idea who you were either, and, and we just came together, and now we're doing this podcast, and it's a ton of fun. As for the extension question, if I had to pick one, I think it would be Andrew Thomas, just because the value of left tackle supersedes the safety. But I think you're onto something. You don't want to piss off one of those guys. I'm, at this point, fine whenever financially it makes sense that you could extend both of these players, because I think they're both going to be dogs. Yeah, I think that's a great point by you there, Nick. All right, let's get to the next question here. It comes from Kev K. Kev K asks, do you think Brian Dable means it once he means what he says about Daniel Jones and his postgame pressers and during the week? Or do you think he's just doing what a coach does to support his QB no matter what? I think we would have to get specific on what exactly you're talking about, Kev K. I think Brian Dable supports Daniel Jones because that's his quarterback. But I think deep down, he knows that it's probably not going to be his quarterback long term. I base that on on nothing. And I think the step down from Josh Allen to Daniel Jones probably has to be pretty frustrating for Brian Dable if we're just going to be about as objective as we can be here. But at the same time, Daniel Jones is his quarterback and they're trying to win football games right here. They're trying to build culture and he's never going to ever throw that kid under the bus in a terrible manner. I can't imagine him doing that. 
yeah, I'm with Nick on this. I, I never really listened to coach speak. Uh, we know he's not going to say anything like he's not going to come out to the media. If, if he was pissed that Daniel Jones, for example, missed that, that, that read to Tony that we broke down all week, he's not going to come out and say it. If he was pissed, he didn't throw that ball to Shepard. He's not going to come in the red zone. He's not going to come out and say it to us. That's the stupidest thing he could possibly do. At any record, 2-0, and 0-2, it doesn't matter. He's trying to build a winning team. You don't undermine your starting quarterback to the media. You do it behind the scenes, maybe. Something we'll never hear. That could potentially be the case. Who knows? I don't know. Oh, I can guarantee he is <laughs> not like yelling at Daniel Jones, but every time Daniel Jones makes a mistake, he's in his ear. And you can see him on the sidelines always talking with him. You absolutely love that. Him and Shea Tierney are always around Daniel Jones, and that's what coaches are for. And whenever Jones makes a mistake, they're there to guide him in the right direction. Now it's just going to be on Daniel to not make that same mistake again. Yeah, I think Nick nailed it there. So good on good on him there. Gil Martinez asks, did Nick go with the Michelob Ultra or what? <laughs> <laughs> so that hockey game is actually tonight, Wednesday, and I did not go with the Michelob Ultra. I bought Blue Moon, which for whatever reason, I feel like I'm going to get scolded for almost even more oh, than Blue Michelob Moon's Ultra. Way worse choice than Michelob Ultra. Is it really? Oh, of course it is. Blue Moon's a wheat beer. Those are heavy. They sit in the stomach. You, after one, you're sick of it. Oh, man. Blue Moon was a bad choice, dude. You should have went with the, Mick, with the Mickey Ultras. Dude, I can't sit here and tell you what a what a weep. I literally went to the aisle and I was just like, oh, Michelob Ultra. And then I thought for a second, I'm like, would these dudes really want Michelob Ultra? No. That, that's a very Nick Filato type of thing. And I was like, I've I've had like one beer in the last like decade, dude. Like, oh I don't, my I don't, god, I don't I drink beer. Michelob Ultra. All right, let's move past it, Nick. We gotta we gotta let that one go. Yes. So, Aspanth, I think is how you <laughs> pronounce this. Am I crazy for thinking the Mets can win the World Series, Dan? No, you're not. Okay, because look. And it all depends on one, two things. Is, is Jacob DeGrom healthy for the playoffs? Is Max Scherzer healthy for the playoffs? But we have seen this recipe in baseball win over and over and over again. When you get to the playoff series and you could work these arms for multiple games of the series, one, you know, you have a three-man rotation. Two of those three are DeGrom and Scherzer for, for F's sake. And you can use some of your back-end rotation guys as bullpen pieces. That's a winning recipe. Now, if they're hitting goes as cold it, it started to pick up again thank god but if they're hitting goes through that cold streak it was going through a couple weeks ago a week or two ago yeah they're probably not going to win the world series that's just the funny part about baseball it's such a streaky sport it's not like any other sport in that regard in my opinion but with those two pitchers man with Scherzer and DeGrom if they're healthy they're gonna I, it's not only that they think they can win it I think they're going to win the world series not wouldn't that be it. something? Not wouldn't that be it. something for the city of New York, man? Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, for Mets fans especially. They deserve it. Yankee fans have had a lot. Yeah, not since 2009, though. Oh, cry a river for me, please. <laughs> hey, I, I sit in a really weird spot when it comes to baseball with the Mets and the Yankees. Yeah, Wes Locke asks, if Aziz and Kayvon come back, do you think the defense struggles at all? Great question, Wes. Obviously, the defense has been so dominant to this point. My answer is yes. I think even with Aziz and Kayvon, they are going to struggle against elite quarterbacks who can process what Wink's doing fast, get rid of the ball fast, and put it on the money in the open spots. Now, eventually, if they can get two more lockdown corners or one more lockdown and a pretty damn good nickel type thing, then we could get to the point where, like the Ravens were a couple of years ago, you don't move the ball, you don't score on this team, and they just dominate you. But right now, until they get those cornerbacks, I think the good quarterbacks who process the info fast and get rid of the ball fast are going to make them pay early and often, even if Aziz and Kayvon are in the game. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's excellent to get those two players back, but I don't think that just means his defense becomes like a top five overall unit. 
Dan mentioned it before. Giants played Ryan Tannehill with a crappy offensive line and Baker Mayfield. I'm really encouraged by what Wink Martindale has shown in terms of scheme on tape, and I'm really encouraged by the execution from the players. But there might be tougher days ahead when we start seeing the Aaron Rodgers and the Lamar Jackson and players like that. Alejandro Cruz asks, is Kenny Galladay done in New York, or do you think he can turn things around? And that's interesting with the with the comments that we heard a little bit earlier from Galladay. Yeah, it really is interesting. Um, I think he's going to get another opportunity this season. As Nick said earlier, there's no real option to trade him or cut him at this point. So he's on the team. And, you know, and that's, I shouldn't say that. If the, if he like destroys the locker room and starts going crazy and making and ruining the kind of atmosphere they have there, which I don't really think is even within his personality, a possibility within his personality, then they might actually just cut him and take on all that dead cat. But I doubt that happens. So, do you think he can turn things around? I don't know, man. I, I just don't know. It just, it, like Nick said earlier, he's not creating separation. He was never a separation create, creator in Detroit, but he had a lot more pep in his step and a lot more explosion and burst off the line of scrimmage and his releases. That's what I think is missing the most from Galladay right now. And it may never be back from that after that hip surgery. And can you just, it's just sick. It makes me sick to my stomach, Nick. Sick to my stomach that the Giants doctors gave the information to Gettleman about that hip surgery. And he still said, I don't care. I'm making this signing anyway. And I, I just worry, man. I just worry that part of that was because he knew it would placate to the fans. A lot of the Gettleman decisions, as we've talked about in the past, were strictly to placate to the fans. The Nate Soldier signing, which I actually was fine with at the time. I was wrong about the, the going crazy to draft Sam Beal. The, a lot of these moves were just placating to the fans said, we need to get Daniel Jones a playmaker. And so there's no playmakers on the open market at the wide receiver position. What does he do? He doesn't wait for the next year. He jams one in with Kenny Galladay, bids against himself. No one wanted to give him a multi-year contract. And then sees the surgery, sees the medical report, and signs him anyway. Did the same thing with Kyle Rudolph as far as seeing the medical report and signing him anyway. So it just makes me sick to my stomach. He was allowed to be here for four years doing that kind of damage. And I don't like to go on these rants anymore. I know people don't, some people don't love it. I know some people do love it. So I, to be quite frankly, I'm catering to you. And you deserve to get – des- I deserve to get this out, Nick. It's a, it's a cathartic experience, and it makes me feel better. But there were idiots who were telling me when I was telling them after two years that every single day that he's allowed here, he's doing more damage long term. We're saying I'm an idiot. And they were celebrating his 2019 or his last offseason. And where are you guys now? Step up and be accountable for what you said because you're seeing it now that all the damage that he's done with Kenny Golly. It's a great example. So I'm done with that. I got it out. It was felt good, Nick, and, and I'll relax. I think some of those signings, though, it's not just catering to the fan base. And this is going to be a pro-Gettleman take, and I'm not pro-Gettleman by any means. No, I would say catering to his coaches. I I think with Sam Beal, James Betcher just needed a cornerback who could play man coverage. So he went and he did that. With Kenny Galladay, Jason Garrett needed the big X receiver to kind of help complete his offense. So he overspent drastically on a player like Kenny Galladay. And then in terms of Nate Solder, Patrick Oman, the offensive line was was terrible. And that dates back to the Jerry Reese time. You you needed to protect Eli Manning at that point. So I didn't I didn't love the Nate Solder signing, but I loved the fact that they found somebody to replace Eric Flowers because I right. felt like that yeah. had to happen. I just felt like it had to happen. There was no way you could have left that free agent cycle with Eric Flowers as your starting left tackle. And the one that's thing why they could they have done differently, though, is not let that contract continue to toil on yes. and on and gotten out yes. quicker. Yeah. Yes, 100%. And this isn't me saying Gettleman did a good job or anything absolutely asinine or ridiculous like that. It's just giving, I think, another perspective on, on reasons why Gettleman made some moves that were really questionable. For sure. All right. Adam Kliegman asks, and shout out to Adam, Wisconsin. 
First of all, he went to Wisconsin. He was actually in my fraternity a year older than me for a little bit. So Adam, a long time. And he's all, uh, I've known him for a while. I guess I've known him online for a while. And, and- Which frat were you? You were a frat guy? Oh, wow. I can't believe I never brought that up to no, you. No, I knew you were a frat guy, but now I want you to talk about it. I don't really want to. Okay. Uh, I was in Delta Upsilon, which is actually a sick frat in Wisconsin from the sense that they have a house right on the lake, which is just awesome. So we could throw some of the sickest pregames ever right on the lake. I know people have pre- preconceptions about fraternities and stuff like that. Um, the, the friends that I made freshman year all joined it. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm hanging out with them anyway, so I might as well join it. Um, and it was actually funny because everyone who goes to Wisconsin from the, they call us coasties, the people who come from the East coast or from California, because it's a lot of sticks, Ascanis, which are the people from Wisconsin and the coasties. And most coasties from my walk of the, from my neck of the woods, Nick, a Jewish boy growing up in New Jersey, joined a pie or Sammy, the two Jewish fraternities. I did DU, which had minimal Jews in it and maybe one to five. And it was a big Chicago frat. And so that's something I, that, that meant something to me just to branch out, meet different people. But Great. I had a great time. I had a great experience. I, I have no regrets there. I know people have conceptions about the fraternity life, whatever. It is what it is. I stand by it. So anyway, shout out to Adam. He says, which college quarterbacks do you guys have your eyes on for next season? The the one that really jumps out at me. And again, like I said a little earlier, I, I haven't studied these guys. It's just what I'm watching on Saturday. But CJ Stroud is the one that really just pops, right? He's the one who comes off tape at you. That's the Ohio State quarterback i'm also just watching alabama games so you see bryce young will levis when kentucky's on just because his name is out there anthony richardson if he comes out of florida he had the game against kentucky where he kind of pooped his big boy pants there a little bit but he's definitely really interesting just from a size athletic ability standpoint those would be i think the four that that come out to me and i've also heard like miami's quarterback his his name but i don't really know much about those guys i've actually made a concerted effort which i haven't done in past seasons because I have YouTube TV now, which is the absolute nuts. And again, really? the nuts is, yeah, the nuts is just an, uh, a poker term. So what I mean by that, because I, I say it sometimes and it's like people are like, what the hell do you mean by that? It's like it's the best possible hand. So it's the best because you can record unlimited. There's an unlimited DVR. So I just literally record every Florida game, every Miami game, every Alabama game, every Ohio State game and every Kentucky game. And so I just try to watch the quarterbacks. For me, it's Stroud and it's and it's young. Those are the two quarterbacks that I think have a really good chance. I am not a big fan of Will Levis. I see some things I like, but I'm not really excited about his ceiling, if I'm going to be honest. We'll see what happens there. Anthony Richardson, he's just too raw. I've been watching a lot of Richardson. It just it feels like, now look, Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, maybe the guys to, to evolve him into what he could potentially be because he does have good velocity in his ball. The ball jumps out of sand, and he's an, an absolute insane athlete as a runner. But I just don't know how long that's going to take. And I'm just not so sure about that one either. Van Dyke, I've seen him now two games. Not a fan of Van Dyke. I do not see him being anything other than like a Daniel Jones type. The Boston College quarterback people like, I haven't watched him much. So, you know, I think this quarterback class is not as good as people originally said. I think the top two will be good NFL quarterbacks. Bryce Young, to me, reminds me of an early Russell Wilson type. And C.J. Stroud, I know everyone's like, oh, you can't draft an Ohio State quarterback. Have you seen blah, blah, blah? Have you seen? None of them are good. I'm not a, I'm not a scout the helmet guy. I get it. It's a, it's a quarterback-friendly system, and we've seen some mistakes there drafting into the Oklahoma quarterback-friendly system with Baker Mayfield. But then we also have Kyler Murray, right? He came from that Oklahoma system, and we like him. So I really like C.J. Stroud. To me, he's the best prospect in this class. That's what it seems like to me as well, but... Follow us during draft season. We we dive deep into the NFL draft for any new listeners. It's very comprehensive content catered towards the New York Giants, but also just covering the whole of college football. 
All right, we're going to wrap it up here on this mailbag podcast. We got so many questions in, I guess, because we haven't done it in a while, and it's a fun time. We're going to do another mailbag pod after this. It'll be a part two-er. But we want to keep these shorter. We know we've been running way long on some of our pods lately, two hours. Some people have suggested even cutting those two-hour ones in half and doing like a first-half film review, a second-half film review, something we'll consider in the future. I do believe one hour is probably a good point to stop for most podcasts. So we'll finish it up with this one. Stan McCune, another one of our longtime listeners and our boys, asks, can you guys compare what you're seeing on the All-22 film in terms of wide receiver openness now with what you saw in the previous Giants offenses? It feels like there are wide receivers getting open consistently now, and that wasn't so much the case in the past. I would agree with that. I think the route concepts are just a little bit more progressive than what we've seen in the past. I also think the double moves that, that we saw from David Sills on certain plays, the choice routes from even a guy like Saquon Barkley, I feel like it just gives the wide receivers a little bit more freedom to create separation and find voids in the defense based on the defensive coverage. I think a lot of plays where like Kadarius Tony was wide open was more of just a coverage lapse. That wasn't Mike Kafka doing something creative with his scheme, even though he's right. done a ton creative with his scheme. But even like the Sterling Shepard play in the back of the end zone, you flood that zone and you just put one player in conflict, have him have him cover two different routes, get his eyes going in a bunch of different directions. That's Mike Kafka right there. All the pre-snap motion that leads to some of those coverage lapses. That's Mike Kafka right there. I think it definitely has made a big difference. I would say in terms of just separation though, some of it, whenever the defense is on top of it and they read everything correctly from pre to post snap, it's not like these receivers are creating ample separation. And that's something that I feel like can be rectified if the Giants had a young receiver like a Chris Alave or a Garrett Wilson or someone like that. Exactly. I think Nick perfectly nailed this down. They are scheming more open receivers than ever before, but they're still not winning vertically except from a separation standpoint on the boundary, at least in my opinion, like they can be like some of these guys do. And Alave would really help them in that regard. That dude literally just broke the air yards record for a rookie in one week. And it was the third most air yards since they began, ch- since they even began charting air yards last week. I thought Pickens could also be in the mix there. The Giants passed up on him. I get it. They didn't want, they didn't, they were maybe concerned with the off field stuff. They were hyper focused on what Robinson can do for them this year, which I understand too. And again, I think once he's back and healthy, he's going to be playing a big role like that. Honestly, like the Richie James role, I think will be his role. But ultimately, they got to look themselves in the mirror and be like, can we win? Can we win Super Bowls without any vertical speed on the boundary? Like, and I think the answer is no. We'll see how they think. I mean, look, they had Stefan Diggs in Buffalo. He's not even he's not even like the most vertically challenging receiver. He does have good vertical speed. He wins with route running on the vertical on the vertical game. Gabe Davis, I would say, is a similar example. So you can find guys who win vertical routes without just pure speed. But right now, I just feel like David Sills, Sterling Shepard, whoever's lining up on the outside of the boundary is just not getting that job done. What Mike Kafka has been able to do just through two games has been remarkable, but still the personnel can be upgraded. And once that personnel is upgraded, I think you can really see this system just take off. Yep. All right. That's all we have for today's mailbag. We know there's a ton more questions, so we're going to get to all of them. We're going to do it on mailbag part two. That'll come out tomorrow or later today, depending on when you're listening to this. And for everyone else, thank you so much for tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast. A lot more content coming just this week. We have a preview of the Cowboys game with the Cowboys beat writer reporter coming up we have a fun fan thing we're going to do later in the week as well that we'll get more details on later if you want to help support us there are two ways to do it three ways to do it one make sure you download every episode if you just hit play like sometimes you know some people tend to do i understand you just hit play you're streaming you're on wi-fi whatever it doesn't help us at all so we really need you to download hit that download button 
if you're on Spotify or if you're on iTunes. And then you just delete it when it's done, you know, just a quick delete once it's done so it doesn't waste your storage on your phone, which I know I'm concerned with. I'm sure you are too. Please leave us a rating and review as well on iTunes. If you want to, you can drop a question there because I'm checking that thing regularly. I can't wait to see my next hater who comes on there and and decides that, you know what? I'm going to take the time out of my day to ruin this person's day by knocking their for free podcast and knocking them down the algorithm. That's the voice I assign to these people because I don't know who these people are. I don't even know if that would be the voice. I can't even understand these types of people, but I'll move on from that. And I'll say the last thing you can do is please follow us over on Instagram, IG, at NYBigBlueBanter. Dylan Nels is running that for us right now. He's doing a hell of a job. Help us compile questions for this as well. If you have questions, you can leave them there as well. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.